0: Restrictions are starting to ease and so is tennis. There's going to be a couple of exhibition tournaments that will feature prominently in 2020, whilst the French Open may reschedule again. Big show on Breakpoint Podcast today. Val Ferbo here with you. Two special guests to join me. One of them isn't this man. He's always alongside me. It's Joel Frucci on the other line. Joel, how are you? Yeah, good, Val. Well, I'm I'm the most
1: special of guests if you can call me a guest. Um, but no, anyway, it's good to, uh, good to be on uh, again. And um, yeah, really looking forward to the show. Um, catch out of the bag. We've done our couple of interviews with our guests and uh, they were both really, really good, really insightful. One of them, uh, of course, is a, a young Aussie that uh, we really enjoy watching. And um, he's got a couple of quirks about him, but um, we, uh, we really do like this man. And uh, I, uh, I can't wait until people can, uh, can, um, can hear it. It's, it's going to be a really interesting chat.
0: Yeah, it was. Mark Polman's uh, the world number 119, an absolute superstar of Australian tennis, uh, one of the nicest guys in tennis as well. He's a really genuine person down to earth and um, he's a very keen table tennis player and uh, we'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later. We want to we set up a little bit of a Breakpoint podcast tournament day, uh, but table tennis uh, wise. Dragon you so, beat him? Pardon? Dragon you reckon could beat him? I don't know he's you're pretty bad, good he's not, pretty good that play yourself no uh, yeah but he's actually quite good my 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 I don't even know what I don't even know what you'd call my style of table tennis it's very it's I play with almost the tennis grip um, and it's very it's kind of like a self-made technique but it's not there's no sort of it's it's very I, I hit the ball flat, but can get a lot of spin on it at the same time. I pride myself on my serve, so um, I'm sure there the listeners go. don't want to hear about my table tennis skills. That's probably the furthest thing from what they want to hear. But um, we'll move on now, Joel. There's been a little bit of a little bit of news. Uh, this week. And the French Open's probably the biggest one. Uh, Bernard Giudicelli saying that they could play without fans this year. And the event has refunded all tickets sold for uh, patrons this year, but it might be rescheduled a week back or maybe push back another week to the 27th of September. Um, are they just clasping at straws now, really?
1: Uh, yeah, look, I, I think they might be. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot about events and, Uh, rescheduling them and um, you know we both sort of agree that unfortunately just the nature of tennis means that um, it's really difficult to postpone events and play them at a different time it's pretty much you play it at the the designated traditional time or you don't play it Um, but I think more importantly um, and you know we know that in the midst of this crisis that um, different countries around the world and not least in, in the European Union, I guess it makes it a little, a little bit confusing that there's no sort of universally governing principles at the moment. Um, most countries have their own set of rules, but um, I guess the most obvious thing that stands out for me is that for a Grand Slam to go ahead, um, you know, it's a, it's a mass congregation of, of players, um, of coaches, of officials, um you name it. And, and for that to happen, you need international travel to be open. And um, in September, I just I just can't see that being the case anywhere, um, not least in, in Europe, which has been the new epicentre, if you like, or one of anyway, um, of COVID-19. So I, I really can't see the French Open going ahead. And, um, you know, obviously we've seen Wimbledon cancelled already that we've spoken about at length. And um, the US Open is still up in the air. Uh, I really can't see either of those events going head, which is unfortunate, but um, you know, I think the situation that we find ourselves in, um, you know, it's 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 I really just can't see any other way, to be honest, though.
0: Neither can I. Well, you mentioned the mass congregation. That's that's two hundred and fifty six players in singles alone from all over the world. So Yeah. It just doesn't seem like international travel is going to be ready by September. Um, domestic travel is a different story. And, you know, we've got a few exhibition tournaments that are starting to come through that are being played in Europe. But it just doesn't seem like the French Open or the US Open, for that matter, are viable uh, viable for 2020. And I think both mm, tournaments no. and the US, the US Open said that they'd make the decision in June. Honestly, I know they're trying to prolong it as much as they can. And it's all a business module, but it's... You know, is there really any point? Like, why, why, why wait? Because it doesn't seem like America is getting any better. Europe, I don't think, I don't think international travel from Australia or America will be will be right by then. So I, I just don't see, don't see any way that the French or the US can go ahead. And we've been saying this for weeks. It's kind of, kind of becoming old with all the, but with all the new news that sort of filters through, it kind of reaffirms the point that these tournaments just it doesn't seem like they're going to go ahead
1: and even if there was international travel i mean is it going to be at a point where and i certainly believe this should be the case if players were to travel say from australia to france on landing are you going to be doing a 14-day quarantine
0: exactly um, so, so how long so, do you have I mean, to be in france how long do you have to yeah. how much money do you have to pay to stay in a hotel and for players that are outside the top 100 as we're going to get to later, it, and as we have been getting to for the last few weeks, it's not viable to be able to pay that much to stay in a hotel unless you're staying in a cheap, a crappy motel that you drive mm. through that probably has ants in the bed.
1: And, yeah, and speaking from a physical point of view as well, um, if, if that was to be the case, how are you going to train? You're confined to that room. Mm. So when, when you eventually do get out and it's time to play, um, you're going to be behind the eight ball that's a reality. Um, yeah. And, you know, unless you have access to, um, you know, the coaches, physios, all that kind of thing, which we've spoken about again at length because um, funding has been a massive issue in this period. Not all players have access to that. So it's going to, for me, it's going to create just a completely imbalanced playing field, which is really detrimental to the actual integrity um,
0: of the tournament I think yeah 100% there's one thing you could do could you practice volleys outside or through your hotel window if you open it up <laughs> you could just practice like they have been in Europe and just <laughs> a few volleys here and there um, probably can't be doing what Andy Murray's doing and, and buying a massive wall to play tennis against and then still hitting the ball into your neighbour's garden did you see that footage? <laughs> Oh, that I was did. hilarious. Yeah. You just hear him swear at the end of it. It was brilliant. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of water that needs to go under the bridge for the French to go ahead. And same with the US, but I don't see either of it happening. But speaking of tournaments that are going ahead, Patrick Moritoglu and Alex Popper, which is Alexi Popperin's father, the young Aussie, um, they've come up with a brainchild called the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. It's going to take place at the Moritoglu Tennis Academy in France. And they've already got some pretty good players, haven't they?
1: Yeah, they do have some good players. Uh, some players that we that we like. A lot. Benoit, Benoit Pair, Pair, Fabio Fognini, of course, the Fog Dog, David Goffin, Alexi Popper, and Luca Pui, and Dustin Dreddy Brown. How good is that? That's an interesting lineup. Um, yeah. Make sure you bring your popcorn for uh, anyone that's kind uh, of watching that, and I think a lot of people will be because it's going to be uh, pretty much the only uh, sport, not not least tennis, that's going to be on um, in the next little bit. But um, yeah, I guess uh, starting from June thirteenth is probably works because those players reside in the European countries. So, um, yeah, you'd have to assume that um, the organisers of this particular event have done their uh, due diligence with regards to to travel and things like that and making sure they can actually stage uh, this tournament effectively. So, um, yeah, look, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting concept and uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more domestic events. Um, technically, this is a, an international event because... Um, these players obviously aren't from the same country, but they do fall under that European bracket, except for Alexei, who lives um, in southern France, I believe. Yeah. Um, but it really, I think, sets a bit of a precedent because um, you know, even here in Australia, we've, we've seen reports that um, there might be some, uh, some domestic tournaments that are organised here, um, not least the, the State of Origin event that's been touted, and we asked Mark about that. Um, later when we spoke to him, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it go. Uh, to see how it goes, really, just as um, something of a of a test case.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I, I'm like I, I honestly can't wait for Pair V Fognini. I reckon that is going to be one of <laughs> the be best matches of the year, and it's not even going to count for anything. But God, that is going to be fun to watch. And even Alexi's got his own flair, and um, I think I reckon it. I reckon it'll work. But you know, it's unfortunately, it's just this time of year when there's probably the only time when anything like this will actually work that when the tour is not on, but it's, um, it's a good initiative by Moritoglu and Popran to try and get this working. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes ahead and, um, how it's played and how the tournament looks. And it's all going to be live streamed on the internet, but, um, you know whether the sponsors will come on board I'm not sure but yeah to be it's something that we can all watch with great interest and 10 matches a week over five weeks it's all all very exciting
1: yeah I think uh, I think the events going to have a lot of appeal for, for sponsors because uh, not only have they uh, been able to attract some really high quality talent um, but because there is such a, uh, a real void of, of sport and tennis I think um, they won't really have uh, any problems with um, Getting people to, to watch the events, but I reckon, Val, I reckon we should go to Mark now and uh, and see what he thinks about the the domestic uh, events idea. And um, just quietly as well, we've uh, we've rolled in a, a new little segment there, which uh, um, is uh, appropriated, shall we say, from uh, from an old show that I used to be involved with, the Daily Football Show, and uh, it's called Rapid Fire. So people get the idea pretty quickly. Um, it's kind of like a, a little way of trying to get to know the players a bit better. And a shout out to Rob Crawford, uh, my old colleague, <laughs> who is uh, the real brainchild of this concept. Uh, he's most certainly not listening to this, but nevertheless, credit to you, Rob. So um, yeah, should we get to Mark?
0: Let's do it. Now, Joel, our first special guest of the show is the eighth best ranked Australian on the ATP World Tour, and he's had a wonderful career to date. We can't wait to see what the rest of it has to show. And uh, second round of the Australian Open after a big win over Mikhail Kukushkin this year. And his name is uh, Mark Polmans. And Mark, Thanks so much for joining us here at the moment. How are you going? Good, guys. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. No worries at all. And just first things first, I guess, how, how are you going with all the COVID-19 restrictions and how you how have you been able to play?
2: Yeah, there's definitely um, different times for most of us tennis guys. Um, you know, all, all clubs in Melbourne are shut. Um, where I train at National Academy in Melbourne, everywhere there's shut as well. So, you know, I have to... Go, go out to public courts. I've been trying to go there as much as I can, but you know, a lot of people have been wanting to hit there as well. And there's only really one court open near my house, so it's been a bit, bit, bit of a struggle to get there. Um, but you know, I've been lucky enough. Um, I got a bit of gym equipment from, from the national academy just before all this happened, so about four or five weeks ago. So you know, I can do some basic exercises in the garage. Um, and my younger brother's here as well, so we we kind of been trained together. Um, But no, I'm definitely looking forward to the club's reopening so I can, you know, get on proper courts and not having to worry about getting booted off by other players.
0: (laughs) Well, fingers crossed that soon with the announcements coming today. But um, you mentioned your brother's home back from America and he also plays as well, if I'm correct. And um, how much does it help having someone that you can train with that trains to a similar standard as yourself?
2: Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, You know, he... Not really. I can find anyone else to hit with at the moment because you know everyone's got to kind of you know stay at home or you know isolate. So since we can practice together, it's really good. You know, he's, he's at college at the moment in the states, like you said. Um, so he's training full time, um, and he, he you know one day he wants to be a pro as well. So he's going a slightly different route to me, um, but I'm just happy that he's home here and we can practice um, as much as we can. But no, it's awesome to have him around.
1: A couple of weeks ago on the show, Mark, we spoke to Mark Safoulis, who uh, you might know from uh, the First serve. of course. I know you've been yep. on that show a few times. And um, we were talking to him yep. about how um, the whole lockdown has really affected um, coaching. Um, and he was saying that um, he's been sort of mentoring a couple of a couple of players, but from a distance. So in, in your case, have you had access to any coaching at all? Yeah, I have my coach. He's, he's, he's based in Europe.
2: I'm talking, you know, by, by WhatsApp, um, I've been seeing some footage of me training. Um, but, you know, it's not really easy. That's only kind of the way we can do it at the moment, just back and forth, talking to him on WhatsApp. But it's not, not quite the same as having him here, obviously. Um, so I'm just doing the best I can just to keep him updated on what I'm training. And he's just giving me um, exercise to work on. Um, and just trying to work on still the little areas of my game. And even though he's not here, I'm still trying to improve those little, little things.
0: And have you had much assistance from Tennis Australia throughout this whole period, and what have they done to help?
2: Yeah, they've been in a bit of a tricky situation. Um, you know, they can't really open the centre or else everyone just go, go back in there. Yeah. Um, but they've been, you know, been really good. They've supplied me with, with new new balls. I've um, you know, got tons of new balls to practice with, which, which helps. They've given me uh, gym equipment, which also helps. Um, so I'm not quite sure what else they can do other than really open the centre again. But um, at the moment, you know, I've been in contact with them and they, they're trying to, you know, get some tournaments um, domestically, hopefully happening soon. So that's, that's the next step, I think. I think international tennis is going to be a bit of a struggle, potentially, for the rest of this year. So I'm, I'm happy they, um, you know, got another backup plan and they
1: have some performance here in Australia. One of the things that um, I think it was John Millman was talking about, Mark, uh, one of our favourites on the show, actually, and I think Alex Demon may have mentioned it as well, but there was that whole um, notion of state of origin tennis and we actually had a go at um, putting together some teams and um, I think we had you in our our Victorian team. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that could potentially work? I guess we've got to sort of navigate things like border closures and and things, but in a best-case scenario, assuming things slowly begin to get back to normal. Is that something that you would be in favour of doing?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it'd be to different events. It'll be the first year, hopefully, it happens. Um, but I think it'd be awesome just having a nice team environment, it'd be kind of similar to Davis Cup. So, you know, state versus state, they'll be, oh, they'll be pretty cool. You know, junior players, um, you know, female athletes, everyone would be, it would be awesome. Some legends, apparently, could be in the teams. So I think it'd be awesome for. For tennis, and you know, for the rest of Australia to get to get to know some other names in, in the sport as well. So I think I think it's gonna be a great event. Hopefully it goes through.
0: Now you mentioned the team environment of tennis. You have been around the Davis Cup setup before, as uh, I think it was in um, one of the semi-finals um, a couple of years ago. And how was the how was the feeling just sort of being around the setup and being on being away with the um, with some legends of Australian tennis and some of the biggest names.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was with the, with the Davis Cup team in um, in Austria. They played, yeah, yeah they played against Austria there. Um, so I was there as a hitting partner, um, and that was that was awesome. Um, you know, just to experience being around those the best guys in Australia, like the up like Beeman, uh, Millman, Tomo was there as well. Rusty was there, so I was amongst all the guys, um, and it was just cool to see you know how they go about it. Obviously, I want to get to their level, hopefully one day. So it's just good to see how they go about it, um, and and Layton's in, know, information to the boys was also pretty key. Um, you know, we came across a tough team with Dominic team playing in their home in the home country. So we, we lost that tie, but you know, hopefully one day I, I can represent Australia in the Davis Cup. But um, you know, I'm looking forward to going to another tie hopefully soon.
0: Well, I don't think um, I don't think that's going to be too long before you do. But um, just moving yeah. moving along, the player funding. Um, has been a massive topic of tennis recently, and we've seen Dominic Team's comments about um, his sort of involvement in Novak Djokovic's proposed relief plan. But what are your thoughts on on how players are funded and and sort of the difference between the top end and the bottom end, and how tough have you found it sort of developing your career?
2: Yeah, I think I think you know Team's been in a bit of a tricky situation. You know, has been shot down a lot, and I think it's tough. I don't think those top three guys really should know be supporting us players i think they just got to change the system i think you know top 100 guys shouldn't be the only players you know earning a living you know? um i'm just outside of top 100 now and you know i haven't really earned much of a profit i'm just slightly above so i think i think tennis really needs to make a, a structure difference and you know 250 to 300 players should be earning a living like like all other sports so I don't really think it's up to those three guys. Obviously, it will help with Roger and Novak and Rafa and you know, help, it, help um, you know, say a word and get the tournaments to invest more in the lower-ranked players. So I think it's a really tricky one, but um, no, I really hope that tennis look, look on this and structure the, the the prize money more more better to players outside the top 100 and 200 for sure.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, Mark. I think prize money is a really big one that when tennis resumes, it could probably take on a more even spread. I guess the thing that I look at when it comes to tennis is certainly um, prize money probably reflecting, um, I suppose, the public's interest in those bigger names. Um, so, I mean, when I think about it, um, I sort of think about that level of interest in things like broadcast rights. So do you think that when tennis does resume, you um, the governing bodies like the ATP and the WTA and the ITF etc should think about really sort of putting some effort into marketing the, the challenges and the futures and really trying to drum up um, some more interest and, and trying to um, I guess dip into that that charm and appeal of, of, of seeing the, I suppose in, in quotation marks, the, the small players and the rising stars of the game in these more obscure sort of tournaments
2: Yeah, I think I think it's, yeah, it's not an easy one because obviously the ATP guys are the best players in the world, and most most people just want to watch the best players in the world. But I think it's I think it's also good if they can keep trying to grow the Challenger tour, um, the Futures tour. I, I think it's going to be way too tough, to, um, you know, to to increase the popularity for for viewers and in the Futures level. I think I think the challenges is where it needs to start and, and get better, and it is getting better. You now they have live stream for almost all matches. A challenger tournament, so they are doing their best. Um, but yeah, in the ATP level, you know, just the two fifties apparently sometimes don't make a profit, so that's that's tough. Um, but like you said, the you know the state of origin tournament that could potentially happen, I think would be great. The rest of Australia will know; they'll find out a lot of different players' names. They'll, you know, it would be great. I think it would be awesome.
0: Yeah. And moving uh, moving on now to your career in particular now and. You've had some really good results over the past six months, and um, how does and you're at a career high ranking or thereabouts? And how does having this lockdown affect you mentally and in pre- in preparation? Because I know that last year you didn't have a lot of points to defend early on in the se- or sorry you didn't have a lot of points to defend yeah. early on this season, but towards the second yeah. half there's a few. So how what does that do to you mentally? And how do you try and keep positive through um through situations like these?
2: Yeah, no, that's that's right. Um, you know, I was looking forward to the start of the year, as you said. I, I knew that um, you know my ranking points were mainly at the second half of the year, so I was really looking forward to hopefully having a good Aussie Open, um, and I was I was happy I got through a round there, um, and I had a few more big tournaments coming up. You know, I, I decided to take a bit more of a risk and, and play some of the the Master One Thousand events for polys, um, where the year before I was playing the Challengers. So, you no. Know, Try to step up a little more and and, and you know throw myself out there and, and play play for some bigger points, some more prize money. Um, so it's it's a bit of a pity that this has happened. Um, you know I was, at, I was at Indian Wells and they decided to cancel the tournament one day before you know mm-hmm. uh, So that was a bit rough. But in saying that, hopefully hopefully tennis resumes. You know I don't really mind it, and you know if all my points depend, it doesn't really matter. Um, I, like you said, I'm not too close, not too far away from the top hundred. So hopefully, chance will resume soon, and, and I can keep trying to push towards
1: that. Fortunately for us, the Australian Open was the only uh, major tournament that's gone ahead this year, I suppose, other than probably the, the ATP Cup. that of course, Marky got a win against Mikhail uh, Kukushkin, um, and then came up against Dusan Lajovic. Um, who was in great form at the time, of course, um, with uh, yeah. Serbia. He really had a, a fantastic ATP Cup. So that, that whole experience for you, I mean, how, how was it to get that first um, singles main draw win under your belt and, and then to come up against a guy like uh, Dusan in uh, the second round, who was, um, I would certainly say, in the best form of his career that I've seen?
2: Yeah, no, for sure it was awesome experience. You know, I lost the year before in five sets after leading two sets to love against... Um, Dennis Kula, so that was a bit of a rough, rough loss. But, you know, this year to bounce back and, and win five sets after, you know, trailing again or up two sets of love again. So I was happy to get through that um, and to compete again do Dusan Laivich. He was, like, top 30 in the world. So he's playing, like you said, some of the best terms his career. had a great ATP Cup. Um, and, you know, you really showed me what I need to work on. He, you know, I lost some straight sets. So it was a great, great experience. Um, you know, he's a quality player. Um, so, you know, I'm just happy I got through a round. Um, so hopefully next year I can repeat that or, or do a bit better.
0: Now, one thing about that second round match, I was there and I noticed that you didn't have your Legionnaires cap on and I was wondering, um, tell us the story about the Legionnaires cap and why it wasn't on for that second round match. Because I, I wanted to see it in the flesh and um, was bitterly disappointed.
2: Yeah, I think that that may be the reason I lost in straight sets. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just decided not to to wear it that day. I was a bit overcast. Um you know, usually I wear it when, when the sun's out or I don't really wear it at night time as you as you can imagine. Um, yes. but yeah, it probably wasn't probably, probably wasn't a good day to not wear it. Um but you know, I just, just decided not to wear it that day and uh yeah, I wore it for all the rest of my doubles matches. Um but you know, I've been wearing it since I was eight years old, so it's something that I usually I always go on court with. Um, and come my trademark now, so so hopefully it just keeps growing and everyone starts to wear it soon.
0: <laughs> well, fingers crossed. We posted that photo a few weeks ago of you and Benoit Pair and uh, saying who wore it yeah, better, yeah. and it was um it was definitely you. You were the resounding winner of that. So um, no, brilliant. But um yeah, playing in front of the Australian crowd must be something that you really you really cherish because that first match I was watching against Kukushkin and it was so loud out on one of the show courts and it was it was just a brilliant atmosphere and. How does that spur you on playing in front of such a vocal crowd?
2: Yeah, no, it was definitely one of the best um, crowds I've played in front of before. Like you said, it was, it was super loud and, you know, it's what you play tennis for. That's what I do all my training for. Um, you know, that's what plays, you know, they start from young age. They want to play in slams. That's, that's their dream. So I was just really happy I was able to get the win and everyone was going nuts. Um, All my friends and family were there, so it was definitely a cool, cool experience. Um, So that's that's you know what I'm I'm striving for. I want to keep training now, and hopefully I can play uh, in all four slams and have that same sort of atmosphere. But um, yeah, thanks for coming out to watch.
1: Mark, this is a new uh, segment that we're bringing through with uh, players that we interview, and uh, we took this from uh, an old podcast that I used to be involved with. Uh, So you'll get the idea pretty quick. It's called Rapid Fire, and we want to essentially fire a whole bunch of random questions at uh, at the players and sort of get to know a bit about who they are off the court. So you get the idea pretty quick from these first two questions. The first one, cats or dogs? Dogs, for sure. (laughs) yeah good answer would you rather go to the beach or the snow and I reckon I know the answer because I believe you're an East Brighton boy for the majority of the time <laughs> yeah yeah definitely the beach for sure 100% yep thought so now this is an interesting one if opportunity to throw someone under the bus which Aussie tennis player thinks he or she is funny but really isn't uh Milman he thinks he's really funny <laughs> <laughs> oh Johnny oh that's funny
2: yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, he's, a, he's an awesome guy, though. I'm not going to say he's not an awesome guy, but he, yeah, he, always, he always tries to get on my nerve. but he's a funny guy. <laughs> I've heard that he doesn't
0: <laughs> stop talking.
2: Yeah, that's true. He doesn't. He loves the loves sound
1: his own voice sometimes.
0: Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, we love Johnny. We love Johnny.
1: Uh, lamb, chicken, <laughs> or mixed cabbage? I'm mm. going to have to go with chicken.
2: Good, good old grilled chicken. You can't go wrong. Oh yeah, okay. I think we'd have to disagree with you there. Yeah, lamb. Uh <laughs> what's, what, what's yours? What's yours? Mixed, mixed
1: every day. Yeah,
0: I'm mixed as well. Everyday,
1: yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, that, okay. That's <laughs> just a solid choice. What's the best place you've travelled for tennis or leisure?
2: I would say um, Umar, Croatia.
1: I played the 250
2: there a couple of years back, um, and you know all the matches were played at night time. There was you know, parties going on all the time even though I wasn't part of any of them and a lot of the other players were <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but you know the weather was was unbelievable um the the, the hotel was on site so Umar Croatia is one of my top top destinations
1: very very nice how about the uh the worst places you've traveled Oof, yeah
2: there's some places in China I probably won't go back to again um <laughs> Yeah, there was – I won the Challenger, actually, in, in Gang. I know it's a weird name, but
0: yeah.
2: that, that place was – yeah, that place was rough. I mean, the guy in the final, he had to retire. He couldn't play. He was had food poisoning. So oh it was God. super cold and, you know, not many people there. So I, I can't see myself going back there any time soon. Yeah. At least you've got yeah, kind of good yeah, memories well. there. I do. No, I played really well. <laughs> But geez, yeah,
1: it's uh, I could have got easily sick as well. The, a lot of players got sick that week. Yeah, Yeah, interesting. We've had a couple of nominations for uh, Uzbekistan, so it was good to good to change it up a bit and, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I get been there. In there. I been there so, yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was the last thing that you watched on Netflix?
2: I finished Money High season three last night, so I hope you boys are watching ah, that. Right. That's a, no, I've that's heard good, good things though. We
0: we both just finished Ozark this week, so that yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. I'm
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched that a couple of weeks back, but
1: Money Heist is the recent one. Yeah, right. That's going next to my list then. Nice. If you weren't a tennis player and you could do anything else, what would you do? Um, I would want to be a pro table tennis player.
0: That was gonna oh, be. Think, that uh, was gonna be my final, to my final question. My final question was on the table tennis video that you and your brother posted. That went worldwide on the ATP tour uh, social media. Yeah, that yeah. how long have you been playing for? Are you just good at all hand-eye coordination sports? Uh,
2: I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. But um, you know, I, I play a lot with my younger brother on the weekends since we were young. Um, so I don't know. We just become crazy addicted to table tennis. I don't know why. Nah, no, it's, um, it's a
0: very, very okay. fun sport. I love it. So, no, I do not yeah, blame you at no. all.
2: No, I can play for hours. So, yeah. if any of you boys want to play, I'm always I'm always down.
0: Oh, <laughs> we, we should do a break, break point uh, table tennis tournament. Definitely. That's, that's one Definitely. I would win. If Definitely. it was actual tennis, I would, like, you guys would absolutely destroy me. But um, table tennis, <laughs> I reckon I could, I could get a few points here or there. For sure. Done. Beautiful. Um, but, yeah, no, Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, and good luck with the rest of your career. You're one of the shining lights of Australian tennis, and we hope that for the rest of your career there's nothing but upsides, and we, we know that it's just going to be a wonderful ride. And fingers crossed we see you deep in slams very soon. Uh, thanks,
2: boys, and I uh, look forward to seeing you guys again soon.
0: Joel, how good was that chat with Mark? What an absolute legend he is, and fingers crossed he's going to have a really big career, and I, I think he will.
1: Yeah, yeah, so do I. Uh, of course, he's still only 23 years old and um, yeah, I, I really feel sorry for him more than a lot of other players I suppose because um, as we know and as we spoke about with Mark, he had that win against Mikhail Kukushkin at the Australian Open and um, then came up against Dusan Lajovic. As he said, he learnt a lot from that match and um, I was really interested by his, um, I guess what he was talking about when uh, he, was, he was saying he was really trying to push himself this season and Try and get into the, the bigger events rather than sort of sitting on the on the challenges and um, and uh, doing what he's used to, I suppose. So um, it was it was promising, but also slightly heartbreaking to know that he had those ambitions and now it's all just been just been taken away from him. So hopefully that uh, hopefully when uh, this whole thing blows over, he can um, he can. Maintain that that ambition and um and uh, and get there eventually.
0: Fingers crossed he can and yeah, the, the, a lot of other Aussies are in that same boat. Chris O'Connell, James Duckworth, both had great years last year, both really doing everything they possibly could to get themselves into a good position to get inside the top hundred. Duckworth has and unfortunately just been delayed by COVID. So fingers crossed that um that the year doesn't you know disrupt their careers massively. But it doesn't look like there will be much international play, but fingers crossed. He's, he's a wonderful guy, and hopefully that we can see him, as I said, deep in slams. But um, plenty more still to get through, John. We've actually got, we've got our, our next guest to get through as well, Jake Eames uh, from Latour. So, should we get to that chat? Yep, let's get to it. Well, Joel, our second guest on the show is the ATP former 695 in the world. He was a great player, and to get that far, you have to be very talented. And he's now being seen again on the court, but in the form of fashion, one of the co-founders of Latour Tennis, an exciting new brand originating here in Melbourne. His name is Jake Eames. Jake, thanks so much for joining us here on Breakpoint today.
3: No problems. Thanks for having me on.
0: No worries at all. And just quickly, tell us a little bit about Latour and um, how that all started. You've got some really notable players um, already, so it's been a great start.
3: Yeah, in 2015, um, I decided to stop from the tour, And I actually met my uh, partner in Croatia while I was playing a tournament, and um, she's from Uruguay. So when I stopped, I moved there for a year. I picked up some study, and uh, I was playing a lot of soccer. And one of the guys on my team was from New York and was a designer. He worked for that for eight years and always had this idea to get into clothes within tennis um, and try to break that traditional style. Um, I had a few incidents when I was younger wearing some crazy things and kind of being told off. And and even I remember once at training, uh, I was wearing a billabong shirt and not allowed to train uh, because it was a surf <laughs> brand. So it really, kind of hit home about the power of a brand just through through a logo, basically. Um, so we threw around some ideas and came up with some uh, cool concepts and basically threw it out there for fun and yeah, just kind of took off from there, really.
0: Yeah, and the concepts are like the uh, the description on the page says we want to be fam- flamboyant and and is that sort of the crux of what Latour is and just the flamboyance and trying to be out there and stand out in a crowd.
3: Uh, A little bit. I think more the flamboyant side is really to serve as a reminder to have fun and enjoy the game. Um, From a lot of the guys on the tour, we try and help out those guys transitioning who want to make top 100. And that's really the spot where they need the most help. And in that zone, there's actually a lot of perpetual negativity where you get lost in not making enough money, struggling with expenses. So, it really was to do something fun and, and try to serve as that reminder to, you know, enjoy the process of the journey and to make top, top 100. And, and that was, I guess, really the, the, the crutch of that flamboyant side is to stand out first and be noticed, um, but also to, to be noticed from other people that, okay, no, this is this is Latour, they're, they're the colours um, at the moment. And, and that's going to remind other players as well to, yeah, okay, this, this, this sport's fun, you know, just enjoy it
1: you got some great uh, athletes on the books, Jake, including uh, Chris O'Connell, Luke Savile, and uh, also uh, Tennis Sangren. And, um, of course, he made the, the quarters at the Australian Open. And, uh, luckily for us, we actually got the Australian Open in hindsight. And, of course, he made the quarters and probably should have taken out Roger Federer. I, I still really can't believe it. So he couldn't quite close it out there. But, um, nevertheless, you must be really pleased to um, have signed up those guys and... Uh, really got that exposure of of having the Aussie boys on the books, but also um, with tennis reaching the quarters to um, really get the brand on that um, on that stage. Yeah,
3: and you know, tennis as well is a journeyman himself. He he went through college, you know, battled on the tour as well through the Challenger circuit, and um, you know, came out the other end. So he's very similar to a lot of the guys that we that we work with. Chris O'Connell the same. Had an awesome year last year. Went from a thousand to one hundred and ten. So um, we've got a nice tight knit group who are all in that same spot or come from similar positions in in the grind to get to the top one hundred. What's tennis like to deal with?
1: Because uh, he's a bit of a he's a bit of an interesting cat. Uh, he's certainly a bit of a, a cult figure for for Val and I. Uh, and there was a, <laughs> yeah. an interesting little uh, excerpt on his Wikipedia page a few years ago about uh, his uh, ancestry, which I, I'm pretty sure was uh, was um, was made up, but nevertheless, it was it was quite funny. But um, what, what's 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 he like just to just deal with? I think he's a, he's a really cool guy. Um, he's you know
3: very intelligent um, and you know he's a de- deep thinker. So you know I I knew Sangren from from I guess the, the Futures and Challenges Circuit. A couple of guys that were involved in the tour as well were good mates with him. Um, I, I think he's really interesting. And I think tennis needs interesting people in the sport to keep everyone engaged. Um, and like I said, from our brand's perspective, he really embraces that that grind side, that, that underdog. Um, and yeah, it's good to have him on board. And like I said, that that uh, that quarterfinal against Federer, um, I remember sitting in the box and having him cancelled in for a semifinal, and just couldn't believe how that changed so quickly.
0: It was one of the most unbelievable matches I've ever seen. But you, you talk about the the grind and the grind of the tennis tour. Is that where the name for all the different uh, the different seasons for Latour the dig was coined from?
3: Yeah, I think um, you know our slogan is always digging. Uh, it's obviously we're an Aussie brand, and it's a bit of Aussie slang there to, mm. to dig deep um, and, and work hard. So I think. The combination there, you know, makes for a good recipe between you know digging deep and enjoying the game. Um, I think those two factors there can really help players out uh,
1: on on the tour for some success. Of course, the current uh, scenario, Jake, is probably not ideal for, for anyone in tennis players, coaches, um, and as we're learning now, the brands um, as well. So, how is um, how has it affected what you're doing at the moment?
3: Uh, yeah, I think like everyone, everything's slowed down. Um, in the last couple of months, it's been, you know, nothing really happening. So everyone's just, you know, resetting, planning. And it's been a good look, I guess, for, for us to, to sit back and, and, you know, look at what we're doing, look at what we're producing and how we can improve, really. So it's really been a productive time um, and, you know, hopefully when things are up and going again, we can really, you know, put some great products forward and uh, some new ideas.
0: And moving moving away now, and there's been a lot of talk, Jake, about a player relief fund recently. And how, how tough for you was it during uh, or early on in your career? How tough was it to sort of develop yourself, make a profit? And who should the onus be on to repair the inequity between the top tournaments and the lower level events?
3: Yeah, I think definitely the governing bodies need to step up and take responsibility for that. It's, it's super tough. I mean, on the futures and challenges circuit uh, to make ends meet, even when you make a little bit more money on the, on the challenges circuit, you speak to guys like Chris O'Connell, you know, they're making a little bit more money, but then the higher you get up the rankings, you know, it all becomes about the one percenters and you need to start investing in, in a coach on the road with you. And then you get to a, you know next level and you need a physio on the, on board as well. So it's, it's tremendously difficult, and I think it's very hard for I guess um, to explain to you know the public that it sounds great. You know, you're traveling, you're, you're on the tour, you're going to different countries and whatnot. Um, it, it it sounds amazing, and it is in a way, but it is very diffi- difficult financially to you know set yourself up for life and make a good income. So I think predominantly the governing bodies really need to change the you know the financial structure or even the tournament structure system. Um, to, to help these lower ranked players a little bit
1: more. Well, one, thing that, um, one thing that I found interesting before, Jake, was when you were talking about your, your history and how you met your partner and that's just Uruguayan and you, you played a bit of, bit of soccer. Um, yeah, I guess it would be remiss of me as a, a soccer fan myself and you could probably see on our Zoom chat here I've got a couple of couple scarves to my right here. Um, yeah, who's, uh, who's, uh, who's your
3: fan? Oh, uh, well, in Uruguay, there's two main teams, which is Peñarol and Nacional. So I kind of jumped on board to uh, Peñadol, which is the national or the team there that my uh, girlfriend's family supports. Um, I actually don't follow soccer too closely. Uh, a couple of mates go for Chelsea, so I've jumped on board there. But with the time difference, it's really hard to, mm-hmm. to keep up. I enjoy playing soccer probably more than, than watching it. I played until I was probably 15. So, um, yeah, it's something I'd love to probably get into a little bit more.
0: Nice. And, and just quickly, before we uh, before we let you go, the uh, Aussies Only Chat, which is part of the First Serve podcast series, you're part of that with Jed Zetzer. Tell us a little bit about that and where, where we can find it and what the show's all about.
3: Yeah, you can find it on the thefirstserve.com.au. Um, the Aussies Only section is really getting up to date with all the Aussie players and what they're doing um, on the tour, off the court. Um, Latour kind of came on board there just to support, you know, another Aussie group, you know, doing things in the space of tennis for Australian tennis players. So yeah, we're super proud to be involved there, and uh, yeah, it's great to great to give some of these guys, um, you know, outside as well of the you know the Demonars and Kuros a bit of platform you know, for for what they're up to out in the world of tennis.
0: It's a great show and uh, you and Jed do a wonderful job of that. And uh, thanks so much, Jake, for, for jumping on board with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you and to chat to someone that's trying to do such a good thing for for some of the young players on the ATP Tour and um, and to get them up and transition into that top 100. And just quickly, before we do let you go, where can we find Latour? Uh,
3: www.latourtennis.com or at Latour
0: Tennis on Instagram. Fantastic! Thanks so much for that, Jake. We're a pleasure to have you on. We'll speak to you soon.
3: No worries. Thanks, guys.
0: Jake Eames, their co-founder of Latour. tour. What a wonderful company they are, and um, it's great to see a company that tries to support the transition of young players onto the tour and inside the top hundred. It's it's just fantastic, Joel, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is, um, and I guess it really works in as you know an extension of all these chats we've been having about supporting the, the low-ranked players because um, having access to that equipment is a, a really big part of uh, really kick-starting your career and, and making sure you can you can set yourself up and, um, and and push forward. You don't want to be in a position where um, you have to go out and, and source your own equipment. Um, and and, and uh, you know when it's all a bit mishmash, it, it really makes things difficult. And um, even though this particular person, who um, <laughs> is another cult hero of ours, uh, Ernest Bilbus, um, he was in a, you know, a pretty good position admittedly um, yes. earlier in his career with the private jet and all that kind of thing but um, at the showing open this year he was talking about some of the challenges he's been having while he's been um, uh, while he's, he's uh, slid down the rankings and he had to go and find his own um, his own equipment and uh, he was saying it was real it was a real challenge for him so it's great uh, what what Jake's doing to um, you know to really provide something that uh, that can support um, those sort of low-ranked players that are coming up, and and uh, really enable them to have access to, to a good a good quality brand and a good quality product as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the, I love the product. I love the flamboyant styles, and um, kind of reminds me of. Um of the stuff Radek Stepanek used to used to wear, but a little bit better than, than what Radek <laughs> used to Radic used to pull on with the old Leah brand. But um, no, nah, it's it's brilliant stuff. But um, speaking of all the chats that we've been having about money and um, and players struggling to fund themselves, well, we're about to have another one, and um, it kind of seems like a broken record, but we're going again. An Algerian player Ines Ibu pleads with Dominic team to reconsider the inequalities of tennis. And well, Venus has essentially called her a hero. So she's this um, Algerian tennis player has gone onto Instagram and said, Dear Dominic, your last words were hurtful to say the least. The reason why I decided to write you this open letter, um, hopefully, you'll change your mind about me and many of us sharing the same situation after watching this video. This was an Instagram post. Um, don't get me wrong, I don't blame you for what you are or this current situation because, after all, it's mainly up to national and international federations to look after tennis. Family and sort out difficulties for the sake of the sport. But this answer is a way to bring it light to our situation and maybe protecting our integrity. Our voice, uh, our voice deserves to be heard. Also, um, thanks for those who helped me put my anger into words and into images. Um, so it's it's a very interesting notion that she's just she's not happy with what Dominic team said about. Um, players being unprofessional, and then he doesn't want to give them her money, but or doesn't want to give them his money. Um, but look, I, I'm not sure having asking him to reconsider his comments. I think he knows his brother is v- pretty lowly ranked, so he would know what was going on in those in the in the lower ebbs of the tours in the ITF and the and the challenger circuit. And yes, most of the players. Are pretty professional, but there's a lot that still aren't, and I think that he wants to make sure he knows where his money's going. And I've been saying this for weeks, but I don't know if if writing an open letter open letter to him is gonna is gonna help in any way.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think I think unfortunately for Dominic Payne, by saying what he said, he's kind of made himself um, he's kind of made himself the poster boy of of the opposition to the to the uh, relief fund. So I think um, it's kind of no surprise that uh, it's made out to him because he's certainly been the most vocal. Um, you know, I've seen a few other players uh, have have spoken about opposition to, to this or um, you know or, or changes to this, and you know we, we both agree that we can see where Dominic's coming from. Um, I, I think though, and I think another I think another big part of the problem with what he said was that um, his his comment was a bit a bit generalistic, like it yeah. kind of just. Threw a, threw a blanket over a bunch of players and said, um, you know, they're, they're not professional. And, yeah. you know, of course, I, I don't expect him to say player X, player Y, player Z are professional and, you know, players A, B and C aren't. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's, he really did leave himself open to, to that kind of comment. And um, I I really, I know I know uh, we, we, we differ a little bit on this though. I certainly agree with you that, the, the governing bodies need to do more. But I also really do believe that the the, the top ranked players um that have that you know they, they win the big prize money and yes they've earned it. They've earned that money, but they win big prize money. Um they have a lot of big uh, big endorsements. They can really um they can really prop up um the players that would be struggling at the moment that um you know that want to make a, a living out of this thing. Yes, there are gonna be some players that um uh, you know, that, that are in that bracket potentially that Dominic talks about but that don't want it as much. Um, but again, and this is a term that we've used a lot, um, means testing. I think everything that, that goes through this plan needs to be means tested. Players that can donate money um, and players that can receive money as well. I think it all comes down to means testing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, definitely. But I think the problem is that Do- where Dominic's teams coming from, I think, and I think we're probably standing like a broken record now, essentially, with the debate that we're having, but team doesn't have to give money to anybody that he doesn't want to give money to. This is this is a proposed relief fund by Novak Djokovic. This is team essentially being told he's got to give money to, to other players. It shouldn't be on the players at all. It's got to be the governing bodies, the ITF, the ATP, and the WTA need to step up and improve this inequity. And it's it's it doesn't seem like it's happening. They're having more talks about a player relief fund, and Dominic poor Dominic teams copping it for actually expressing his views in society. Which you know we ask for more honesty, but then again we cane half the people cane people for it. So it's kind of a lose lose situation for Dominic Team here because if he doesn't want to give money, he looks you know he looks bad. But now he's gone out into the public and said it and. People aren't understanding where he's coming from and just immediately jumping on him. But, the, you know, the the relief fund, if players want to give money, they can, but they shouldn't have to. And it's got to be the governing bodies that are the main instigators in, um, in repairing this inequity. And it needs to happen now. The, like, what better time when there's no tennis on at all to try and improve it and to try and work out a way to make the balance a little bit closer between the top and the bottom? Because... It's nowhere near close, and if they can, if you can make the balance, or if you can make the, or close the gap, that's a win. That's a win if you can keep closing the gap. And look, it's never ever going to be close between the the Grand Slams and the Futures tournaments. They're at complete ends of the spectrum, but yep. the middle, the middle parts between the one thousands, the two fifties, the the five hundreds, and the Challenger events. You know, qualifying for a Masters one thousand. You should be getting a little bit more money. The ATP can put in that little bit more because the t- the winners of the tournament, and for the Australian Open as well, the winners of the tournament are getting $4.1 million Australian dollars. That is a lot of money. You could even take a million of oh, that. Oh, yeah. A million of that for both the men's and the women's and inject that into qualifying. There you go. There's your balance. Three million is still yep. a lot of money for the winner. So. Oh, yeah. So there you go. That, that's that's my two cents if, if that's worth absolutely anything. Um have you got anything more to say <laughs> on it, Joel? Um
1: no, I think uh yeah, I think you said it well. Um uh, yeah, I guess looking at it from um you know, from uh from a real media point of view. Um and we spoke a bit about this with, with Mark earlier earlier on. Um and yes, they are doing it, as you said, they are doing a, a good job with it. Um, you know, I think um I, I wouldn't mind seeing some more some more resources going to really pushing the message of of the challenger events as well. Um, just because I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of really great stories at at that level that don't always get heard. So I think when you, when you, um, when you increase the, the appetite, the public appetite and the interest, um, in those kind of events, I think that's really when you can start, uh, channeling more prize money through there. I think, yes, I want, uh, I want that balance to come, but I think a big a big marker of that, a big criteria uh, criterion is that um, the public the, the interest from the public really really has to be there to warrant that increase as well, and you kind of have to be with a two-way street.
0: Yeah, 100%. Very well said, Joel, and um, we'll move on. and Look, the last couple of weeks we've done a, a couple of nostalgic sort of segments, but this week we're going to take a little bit of a different route here. We're going to do – now, you saw this during the week, and – It's a question of who would you back in their prime on their best stage? So Roger Federer at Wimbledon, Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open, Andy Murray at the Olympics, Rafa at the French in their prime. Mm. So this was your, like you saw this during the week and it it throws up a really interesting question, but is there one obvious answer that I'm looking at here?
1: Well, for me, there is, yeah. For, for me, the obvious answer is Rafa at the French, yeah. just because, I mean, I've, 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 I've never, ever seen any one player, male or female, just dominate a surface like Rafa has on clay. Um, and it's just such a unique surface as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we see it a lot in, in Europe, um, Spain, and, and clearly he's had the upbringing on clay, and that's why he's just so damn good at it. Um, you know, his movement is just incredible. Um, But you you look at a lot of parts of the world, um, you know, there's there's not always an abundance of of clay courts. Um, uh, You know, so there's there's grass courts, hard courts are everywhere, let's let's Mm. be real. Um, So, look, I just think that clay being probably, in my opinion, the most bespoke surface um, and then having a guy that has just absolutely and utterly mastered that surface, um, you know, I I think you have to go with rapper.
0: Yeah, I think if I had to rank them, I would go... Rafa at 1 Rafa at the French Federer at Wimbledon at number 2 Novak at the Australian Open number 3 and then Murray at the Olympics number 4
1: I yeah think... okay I'm probably going I think I'm going to go Rafa at the French
0: Yeah,
1: followed by Novak at the Aussie Open then Roger and then Andy Murray
0: really Yeah. Hmm. No, I don't I, think
1: I, I, I don't think you can argue with, with 8 Australian Opens
0: yeah, but eight Wimbledon titles and then how, however many other finals and over mm. over sixteen years and ah, oh, gee, I'm still I'm still so upset about what happened last year. I'm yeah. uh, like, I was watching Wimbledon posted a video last week um, of a point Federer won at eleven all, juice on Djokovic's serve to get himself a break point, and I just my heart literally sunk to my foot.
1: Yeah, you were devastated. <laughs> oh,
0: I still, I actually still have nightmares. It still makes me upset. I watched the entire match just like the grey hairs on my head doubled during that <laughs> five-hour five hour marathon. It just, it broke me in every single way possible. And speaking of Novak breaking me, he broke my temper during the week and you can throw to this one.
1: Yeah, so uh, for Benoit of the Week this week, uh, of course, our segment dedicated to the crazy, the entertaining, and uh, mildly stupid, wildly stupid, <laughs> and anything else in between. <laughs> anything else in between in tennis, dedicated to our favourite Frenchman. Uh, of course, we've had uh, four so far, Benoit 1 being Benoit himself, Benoit 2 being Novak Djokovic, Benoit 3 being Donald Trump, Benoit 4 being Ozark, and now we're up to Benoit 5, So Val. Do you want to take it away because you have a lot to say
0: on this? Yes. Before I do, happy birthday to Benoit Pair for during the week. Uh, for I think oh, it yeah, was, like that, that was it, uh, Saturday afternoon. He turned thirty-one. So happy birthday, Benoit. We we love we love you, mate, and uh, we hope to get you on the show one day if you ever come across this episode. Um, we will we will find <laughs> you and we will get you on the show. Um, that was my version of Liam Neeson's taken there. We will find you and we will have you on as a guest. <laughs> oh, geez. Um No, but. Look, in all seriousness, the Benoit of the week, uh, we have an outright leader now, and it's Novak Djokovic, because for a world number one, you're supposed to lead by example, aren't you? You're supposed to be an upstanding member of the community. You're supposed to inspire people with what you do, with your actions. And, um, you know, you're a role model to young children and and fans everywhere. Um, I would not say that saying that you can heal toxic water and make it drinkable, is one of those things, Joel. I wouldn't... No. So Djokovic just had an Instagram live with a, with a holistic healer during the week. And he said that, you know, through mindfulness and through gratitude, you can make the most toxic of waters the most drinkable. Now, I would love to see Novak head out to the Yarra River in Melbourne and no. put his hands over it and make that drinkable. Because I don't think you could put... You could boil that water enough to make it drinkable. So no it's just oh i was i was i was seeing red and look i understand because i i i've heard of and i've, I've seen a little bit and i know a little bit about the reiki healing and that um you can put your you, like you can do a reiki healing over actual water t- like tap water or cold water and the molecules in the water actually change and they become they become different there's a, a scientists have done a test on it so i understand all that sort of stuff but the fact that you're saying that you can take undrinkable and unhealthy water and make it pure, come on, Novak, you are thick. You are really, really thick. Like I just, like, and and we put a meme up during the week of what his favourite polluted polluted waterway from each of the four Grand Slam cities would be. And there's either the Yarra here in Melbourne, the Maribyrnong here in Melbourne, the uh, Seine River in uh, in Paris, the uh, River Thames in uh, London or the East or Hudson in New York. So, Novak, take your pick between those six. You've got litres and litres of water there that you can drink from, and um, I hope they serve you well because I don't think they're going to be serving any anybody else well. So, good luck to you. But also, also he's been busted also. breaking lockdown laws, Joel. Lockdown laws. <laughs> um, and, look, the Marabella Tennis, Academy, uh, Tennis Club in Spain, um, they are also at fault for this, for letting him practice. But in Spain, lockdown laws um, have been enforced where you can't use any sort of professional facilities like a tennis court. Soccer clubs are allowed, but tennis courts are completely um, off the table. And Djokovic put up a video on his social media saying, oh, it's great to be back um, back on a tennis court, albeit for however long. Um, and that's defying lockdown laws. Yes, he was given permission, but both of them are in the wrong. And for the person that was attacking me on Instagram during the week, for saying that he was at fault. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting really sick of Novak fans. I'm getting really sick of them. <laughs> but um, no, it, uh, yeah, he's the Benoit of the week. And I, uh, I've i been waiting to go to town because it's just utter stupidity talking about water like that because people are actually going to try it. And I feel very, very sorry for them.
1: Yeah, look, I think, uh, it's, I think it's fair to say that for... The world number one to, to be saying that kind of thing is a, a more than a little bit irresponsible because um, you know at a time like this we we want we want useful information we don't want this kind of experimental kind of faithful stuff if that's the right way of saying it but um, yeah it's, it's it's almost reckless to be honest I mean like, we've spoken a lot about different different responses to this whole thing and um, you know, whether it's the right thing to say or, or, or do or whatever, and, and, you know, how they're going to affect the population. But these these kind of claims are dangerous, to say the least.
0: Very dangerous. So uh, I'm glad someone does see sense in the ATP tour with Rafa saying he must get a vaccination in order to play. So thank you, Rafa, for some common sense. Um, yeah, so mm-hmm. oh, I just had to get that off my chest. That's I, feel, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders, that I've been able to get into a public domain and, and and say that because it's just it is reckless. Yeah. It's so reckless. Have you cooled yeah? down? Uh, yeah, I have a little bit. i I actually feel yeah, quite yeah. relieved. I'm really relieved. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's great. So hopefully, hopefully, Djokovic doesn't put up anything else that gets him nominated for another Benoit because he is in some serious strife at the moment of being our Benoit of the year. So, um, because <laughs> he can provide some wonderful, wonderful highlights. But, geez, the lowlights are bad. They are so, so bad. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it from me there. Have you got anything else to add, Joel, or are we done?
1: No, I don't think so. I'm puffed out. I think we should wrap up.
0: Beautiful. No worries. Thanks so much for, for your efforts today, mate. It's been a pleasure as usual.
1: It has been.
0: I'll see you next week. See you next week. It's been awesome. Today, we've had Mark Pullman's, Jake Eames. You can follow us on Twitter at BreakpointPod, Instagram at BreakpointPodcast, Facebook. uh, Search us there. We're there. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Val Febo and Joel Frucci. Have an awesome week. We'll catch you next time.